through verse 17. Let's hear God's word together. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another... Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that as we approach this, your holy and all-sufficient scripture, uh, that you would sanctify us in truth, for your word is truth. Lord, transform our lives so that we might live for you, so that we might worship you, we might love you more and more. We ask it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. A complete transformation, part two. Uh, Well, one of the things that I have learned over the course of my some 20 years now of being a husband, uh, and now after almost six years of being a girl dad, uh, is that clothes are uh, an important part of the female routine. Now, before I get myself in trouble, let me say that, that as men, we are so glad that that is the case. No, we don't personally really care about clothes ourselves, and you know we're, we're happy to wear the same clothes until they absolutely fall apart. Or until they smell unbearably bad. You know, you can only throw them in the dryer so many times and, and let that work. You know, it doesn't work all the time. But we, we recognize about ourselves that we're gross, okay? <laughs> and we're thankful that you are not gross. We're so thankful that God has given us a counterpart who is concerned with the way that they look and the way that they smell and the way they present themselves to the world. Not surprisingly, he knew what he was doing when he did that. But having said all of that and being careful to emphasize the truth of it, to keep it in mind, one of the things that I was not prepared for, especially when we had a little girl of our own, was the sheer amount of clothes changing that can happen on a daily basis. Again, me and the boys will go out of our way not to change clothes 
But Sarah Grace, she is going to change clothes as often as she can. Every outfit she is going to try to get on, right? It's kind of like a New York fashion show or, or a Taylor Swift concert. There are a certain amount of, of changes that have to take place. Now, the end result of that is that most often our house looks like Old Navy has exploded inside our living room. There is, there, there are clothes everywhere. But um, it seems that there is a constant taking off of the old, no matter if that old is five minutes or days old, and putting on of the new. Now, as we turn... Uh, our focus back to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. What, what we find here is that Paul uses that same sort of language, that same sort of metaphor to describe maybe not the transformation itself, but the process by which that complete transformation that we're thinking about, the, the process by which it actually comes to fruition in our lives and in our experience. Uh, you'll recall last week that Paul really gave us the grounds. He gave us the basis of the Christian life, which is, as Ben has already reminded us, Christ in us. Again, in verses 1 through 4, he says there that Christ has died, that we have died with Christ, that we have been raised with Christ, that our lives are now hidden with Christ. And then in verse 11, he says Christ is all and he is in all. And so from the start, I want to emphasize to you again, we need to recognize again that apart from this sort of foundational shift, you know, apart from that move from the world and from the flesh and from ourselves to Jesus, to being in Christ, uh, apart from that complete and total identity change that we discussed last week that only he can give, Apart from all of that, then the transformation that we are going to consider, the further transformation that we're going to talk about today, uh, not only will it not start, but it will not finish, it will not happen in any way apart from that truth that Christ is in us. If he, if he is not in us, these things will not happen. He is the sole basis, the sole basis from start to finish of the Christian life. We are justified, we are sanctified, and we are glorified in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Christianity to you today as he has finished it. He has done it all. But notice that in that great work that he has done in us, he does intend for us, his people, to be active. He doesn't simply mean for us to be passive receivers of all of these great benefits. In other words, he doesn't intend for us to sit around with our feet kicked up doing nothing. Now, now as we said, he is equipping the saints. And so to quote one New Testament scholar, the call in terms of our sanctification, and that's where I'm trying to drive us here, in terms of our sanctification, the call, the actual process of becoming more like Christ, it is a call to respond and to cooperate with the power that is already in us. Now that last little section is really important. With the power that is already in us. This is not 
works-based righteousness. This is not, hey, go do this, and then I will be your God. Instead, this is Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments, the prologue there. You remember, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now, go and do this. You shall have no other gods before me, right? I have established you. Now go live for me. It's the same thing that Paul reveals to us in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. He says, work out your salvation, your own salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure, right? So he has established us. Now we are to live for him. As we said a few weeks ago, we are free in Christ. Now go out and live in Christ. Live like you are in Christ. Go and be this new creature that he has made us to be. You remember in in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 4, he says that we are saved in order to be holy, in order to be like him. And so this morning, what I want us to do is as we think about this taking off of the old self, in putting on of the new self, I want us to see how we are active in that. I also want us to see how God is working through all of it. But we're going to take them in both parts. I want us to see first the, the taking off and then at least part of the putting on and what that means. Okay, So first, in this passage, what we see is a new way to live. So remember last week we had a new foundation, we had a new identity, and now because of those things... We have a new way to live uh, there in verse 9. He says, uh, you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. We are, uh, according to God's work in us, like Sarah Grace with her clothes, to put off the old and to put on the new. Now notice what that entails. It means in verse 5, putting to death, what is earthly in you, and then also in verse 8, it means putting away these things that we once walked in. Now again, notice, those are active words. Paul doesn't intend for these Colossians to stand on the sidelines. He doesn't intend for them to hope for the best. No, he tends for them to be in the race, to borrow the metaphor that he so often uses. He actually intends for them to take extreme action, severe measures here, put to death what is earthly in you. He he intends for that to be somewhat, if not completely, shocking. Why would Paul use such harsh terms in regards to our lives? Why would he call us to put to death these things that are inside of us? Well, it's because Paul knows all too well how stubborn the flesh is. He knows how appealing sin is to us. And he knows that Satan, who hates God, who hates God's people, who hates the things of God, he's not going to just simply roll over and give in. Think about the the Old Testament saints that, that we all love to read those stories about. But, but what do we know about all of those men in the Old Testament? Yes, they did great things, and yes, their faith was great. You know, you have Hebrews 11 that lists all of that faith passage. 
But what do we know about all of those men? They were sinners. We get to see their warts. We get to see the bad things that they did. And so, yes, they were trusting. Their faith was in Christ. But sin was right there with them. What about Romans chapter 7 to get it back to Paul? You remember this passage. He says uh, in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Paul sees it in his own life. He he recognizes how, how perilous sin still is. And so in Ephesians 6, he reminds us that we are in a battle. That all of us as Christians are fighting a war. Not a war against flesh and blood, but one that is against darkness, against spiritual forces, against those things, as we've said, that are earthly in us. Now look, before you claim that me or Paul, either one, are being too dramatic here, uh, before you dismiss this as just you know religious talk and, and kind of fundamentalism and, and trying to, to make us too religious... I want you to go back to Colossians chapter 3 for just a second and consider what he says in verse 6. He lists all of these sins that he's telling us to put away, and he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So it's not just simply that that sin destroys us, that it does these bad things in our life. It does do all of that, but also is opposed to God. He, He hates these things. In other words, while we may toy around with sin, and friends, let's be honest, we all do that. We may make friends with our sin. We think we can balance it in one hand and God over in the other hand in our Christian lives. We we may not think sin is all that big of a deal, but what is clear here in this passage and throughout Scripture is that God does think it's a big deal. His wrath is and will ultimately be revealed against all unrighteousness. And so, uh, John Owen, uh, the great Puritan preacher and theologian, uh, in his little book, The Mortification of Sin, he says, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Uh, Friends, there's there's so much to say here, uh, and we don't have a lot of time to do it, but let me ask you. Are you, right now, in these moments, in your life, actively putting sin to death? I I, I don't want to create doubts where where there is no need to create doubt. But I think it's safe to say that if you're a Christian here today, if in your Christian life, if it's all smooth sailing, if there is no struggle, if there's no sense of your own sinfulness, if there's no sense that you need repentance, if you feel like, man, I've got this thing figured out, then you may have grown comfortable with sin. You may be living with it in your life unrepentantly. 
Yes, God promises to give us victory. And in the grand scheme of things, spiritually, just, we are justified before God, right? He has given us that victory. But in our own experience, as we continue to walk with him in this life, yes, he gives us little small victories that we see, but we recognize that the victory is not yet complete, right? At least not in our experience. It won't be until he returns or until we are called home to be with him. So that means we are in a battle. Yes, the war, the grand war is won. Jesus has brought the victory. He has won it. But the skirmishes, they're still going on in our lives. And so he calls us with that sure knowledge, the sure knowledge of what he has done within us to fight, to put sin to death. Now, what does that actually look like practically in our lives? Well, he, he gives us here in, in these verses, uh, 5 through 11, he gives us three sort of broad categories, but they're broad categories that are kind of all um, encompassing. They are going to cover a whole host of sins, okay? And he begins, maybe surprisingly to us, with sexual sin. He says immorality and impurity and passions and evil desires and covetedness. All of those fall under the heading of sexual immorality, sexual sin. Basically, he is covering all of that activity that is outside of the bonds of marriage. Now, again, we may think that's surprising. That, that Paul, if he's going to talk about the new man and the new self, that that's where he would start. But it really shouldn't surprise us. Because I want you to think about our world today. You don't have to think very hard. What sin does Satan seem to use more than any other? Turn on your TVs. Drive out of this parking lot and look at the billboards. Look at the state that marriage is in, both in the church and outside of the church. What sin is he using most often? Sexual sin. What sin controls people more than this one? People are building their whole identities around these types of things. Pornography in our culture is rampant. It controls people. What, what sin has caused more damage in our world than this one? What we think about abortion, what we think about the breakdown of the family unit, it's because marriages are being destroyed. We think about diseases that have caused horrible things throughout the world. Because my point is, is that this sin particularly has far-reaching effects, far beyond just a single act or a single moment. We let this, this good thing that God has created, we let it rule over us. And thus, we turn it into an idol, which is the second broad category that Paul mentions here in these verses. We have sexual sin, but secondly... He says there, all of these things are idolatry. And we said last week 
that in Romans 1, it makes it clear that our tendency, our actual default setting, is to take created things and to put them in the place of God. It is to make idols out of all the things that are around us. Certainly, sexual sin is one of those things, but the list of the ways that we make idols is infinitely long, and it varies from person to person. So rather than trying to list them, let me just ask you this question. What is it, what is the thing that you cannot live without? What is the thing that brings you the most satisfaction, the most joy, the most fulfillment in this life? What thing would you sacrifice above all else? Friends, if that thing is not God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you probably have yourself an idol. Be sure, I suspect that most of those things that you listed were good things. They were good things that God has given us. Family and love and work, all of these things are good things. The the Bible commands us to pursue them. But they are created things, right? The the issue is not the things per se. The issue is the place where we put them in our lives. You know, there's a reason why in Luke chapter 14, why Jesus says uh, to those that are gathered around with him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, what's what's the point that Jesus is trying to get us to here? Is it that we have to actually hate our fathers and our brothers and our mothers? No. We've just come through the Ten Commandments. That, That would directly break... The fifth commandment, right? That's not the point that Jesus is trying to get us to. The point is, none of those things can be above him. None of those things can be the ultimate thing. Only he can be the ultimate thing. Anything else, even the good stuff, in the end will destroy us if they are not under Christ. So we have... Sexual sin, we have idolatry. And then thirdly, broad category that he gives us are social relationships. And look, that's not surprising because the, the two great commandments are love God and love your neighbor. And so we hit idolatry, which is directly towards God. And now he, he points us to our neighbor there in verse 8. Uh, he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, we're going to say a whole lot more about this next time, so I'm going to try not to spend too much time here today. But let's simply note that this transformation is not strictly a personal thing. Certainly, it begins in us. God is transforming us as individuals. But, but it, it also affects the way that we see and we treat and we interact with everyone else around us. Again, much of that stems from our view of ourselves, 
because we are arrogant and prideful and puffed up and we have a false sense of superiority or a false sense of our own worth. And the gospel addresses all of those things. But again, it also, this, this transformation stems from that fundamental change, a fundamental change of how we view other people. And you see that there in verse 11. And look, we can... I said I'm going to try not to do too much here, and I'm not. But verse 11 is, is a beautiful verse. It's one that our world needs desperately right now. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. In other words, in Jesus, friends, there, there are no status distinctions. The color of your skin, your economic status, your education level, your nationality, your class, none of these things separate you in God's economy. None of these things are worth more or less dignity in the eyes of God. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all of these things disappear in Christ. I'm not saying in his eyes that we're all just this big sort of blob of humanity that all looks the same and acts the same and has all the same culture. No, he, he has given us, he has made us with all of these differences, and he loves all of these differences. But the point that I'm trying to make to you this morning is that in Christ, there is true equity. He is no respecter of persons. He does not discriminate or pass by or reject based off of these things that we've listed. And he expects us, his people, to treat others that same way. I'm about to say a whole lot more than I intended to say here. Um, and I know you're surprised by that. But in our world, I'm going to finish it here. In our world of racism, in our world of social justice and equality movements, do you recognize how essential the gospel is? Do you recognize how the gospel is really the only answer to all of those things, to racism and to social justice and to the equality movements that we see around us? There is no other place apart from Christ where these things can fade into the background. And so we must, we must hold up to the world Jesus. We must hold him up so that they see how beautiful he is. And a part of that is putting off those things which hinder or damage our social relationships. Not only do we need to hold up Jesus, but friends, they need to see us act this way. They need to see us recognize that there is now no Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or we can keep going. They need to see us live like this. It's the, it's the hope that the world is looking for and we have it. Let's show it to them. So, we, we put off, we put to death sin, and we see that in these three broad categories. And what a fight it is that is before us. 
consistently, we must be waging war against these things that are in us. And to be sure, these things are in us, but they no longer control us, okay? So we put them off. And then secondly, we are to put on. Uh, And again, notice it's active wording there in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You know, we, we think about the fruits of the Spirit. We talk in terms of Christ's work in us. And again, to be sure, that is our foundation. That is our only hope. But we are, as those who are holy and beloved, to choose righteousness. We are to pursue after Christ. We are, as the footnote in my Bible says, to live up to what we are in Jesus. And again, what are we in Jesus? Holy and beloved. And so, uh, we, I'm, I'm skipping that part. It's, it's, I'm skipping Don't worry about it. So, two things he commands us to put on. And this is where we'll conclude this morning. He commands us to put on new minds, a new way of thinking. Look at verse 2 there. Go back up to verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It reminds me of, of Romans 12 that's there at the top of your bullet. And I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's important. Transformation in action. It begins with a transformation in thinking. We have to think differently than, once, than what we once did. In order to love God, in order to live for him as we should, our thought processes, our worldview, the things that we value and find important, all of that has to change. It's the same thing that we've discussed in James on Wednesday nights over and over and over again. You remember just quickly there, he gives us those two separate uh, kinds of wisdom. A wisdom that is earthly from below that he calls demonic and a wisdom that is from above, a heavenly wisdom. Well, Paul is, is pushing us to the same point here. Now, this is getting us back to that sort of foundational shift we discussed last week. But again, that the point is that because we are in Christ... We must think like those in Christ with an eternal perspective, with a kingdom perspective, with a godly, his glory perspective. As he says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, he says, Their end, this is those who are in the world, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in the shame with minds set on earthly things. Our citizenship, it's in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then he goes on to say in chapter 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
Think about these things. Our minds are different. They are changed by the gospel. We put on new minds. Secondly, we put on new attitudes. And again, this this really leads us into next week. But notice there in verse 8, he puts away all of these these things, anger and wrath and malice, all those things that, that he says put away. They are replaced now by compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Now, next time we're going to see that that love, what that love really looks like in the church, because it's love that that binds it all together. And that love is to be the love that we have for one another. But for now, let's let's recognize, uh, as we conclude today, how all-encompassing this transformation is becoming, Right? It's foundational, it's our identity, it's our minds, and it's our actions. And so what's abundantly clear is that Christianity, it isn't just a part of who we are. It's not just another feather in our, the, the, the cap of life. It's not just a merit badge that we can put on and we can show to everybody, yes, I did my part in the church, I did my time there, and now I have this merit badge that I can show off forever. No, what what Paul is presenting to us and what the Bible presents to us is not something in any way that we can just turn off and on. Christ demands, and Paul reminds us here, that it is our whole being. He, Jesus, is the whole of our lives. He is all and he is in all. And so my challenge to you, a challenge to myself, is to go out and to live as those in Christ. Friends, not only is that what a lost and dying world needs to see, but it is also the only thing that will ultimately satisfy our hearts. So go out. Go out and live for him. Choose righteousness. Pursue after Christ above all else. Go out and live for him as we pray together. Father God, we ask that you would help us to do that. We know that in and of ourselves we won't do that. And so we need your work in us. But Lord, you have saved us to be holy. And so help us to pursue you. Uh, Lord, may it change the things that we love. Uh, May it root out the idols in our lives. May it change the way that we treat and care for and love other people. Lord, work in our lives in a mighty way. Help us to be yours and yours alone. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.